0: Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Breaking, a baseball news podcast here on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. I'm Tim Jackson with TC Zenka, TC with all that's going on in the baseball world today, how are you feeling about all of it, and uh, how are you feeling overall? I feel good. It is opening day in minor league baseball. We have a full
2: system of, of baseball teams now that's finally back in play. First <laughs> okay. time since 2019, we have organizations and places to actually train young players and give guys an opportunity to step up at their games and maybe get, make a name for themselves and, you know, place for slowly slowly fans to go see a game for under 60 bucks and
1: yeah the, and, it's a good time and even with all its wonky camera angles uh milbd M-I-L-B-T-V is like 20 bucks for the year so if anybody wants to hop on that there you uh, go that would be a lot of fun i uh keep getting some some push to watch some to watch some mariners affiliates and I'm, i might just have to hop on it at some point because they are uh quickly becoming a stacked system but That's what we expect. When it comes to other expectations for baseball this year, we all thought the AL Central would be kind of the baseball equivalent of the biggest shrug you could muster, right? We all thought that things would play out with the White Sox and Twins probably fighting for playoff spot with Cleveland coming up in the middle, being totally okay, being totally on average. Uh, the Royals being mediocre as well, and then the Tigers being last place darlings. But TC, that is not at all how it has played out to this point in the season, is it?
2: Not so far, no. The Royals have, have jumped out to a hot start. They are in, in first place. Back in first place today, uh, the White Sox just lost one to nothing to the Reds. So I think that puts the Royals back on top. Uh, but at 16-12, and 12, they're off to a hot start. They're, they're not necessarily surprising folks, but a, at least a little bit making good on a, on a strong offseason. And, uh, you know, the White Sox are are picking it back up again. They're, they're right there. And the the Twins have been the real disappointment. At uh, 11 and 17, they're off to, to a rough start. But there's plenty of time. You know, we're 30 games into the season, which this year is not half the season, which is exciting.
1: <laughs> Very and exciting. Uh, we, can,
2: we can go back to saying, ah, who cares? 30 games doesn't matter.
1: Yeah, we'll worry about baseball in July uh, when it comes to these records. But really, some of these teams can't afford to have that mentality. You mentioned the Twins a moment ago starting out ice cold beyond just being in Minnesota at 11 and 17. So why don't we start there? If you were to look at the Twins roster, TC, what would stick out to you as the most befuddling thing about the slow start for the Minnesota Twins? it's the productivity of the offense actually in a,
2: in kind of a good way. Like Byron Buxton has put up 2.4 F war. Nelson Cruz has been as good as expected. Josh Donaldson has been as good as expected. Luis Arias has been as good as expected. Like Alex Kirloff has only been up for a little bit and he's back on the injury list now, but uh, he put up big power numbers. I mean, they, they have six guys with WRC plus over hundred in their, in their regular lineup. It doesn't look that dire looking at the offense especially with with Buxton having this monster season so far. So I think that's the thing that really concerns me the most, is offensively they've looked pretty good. Now they have had some guys miss some time. Donaldson's only been 17 of their 28. Angelton Simmons has played 18. Like I said, Kirilov's been in 12. Max Kepler's only been in 18, and he has started slow. So they have some positive regression to look forward to there. Um, But otherwise, it's really just been – the offense has been pretty okay. It's been the pitching side that has been the, the bugaboo for the Twins,
1: uh, particularly in their bullpen. Yeah, so their bullpen has been bad. Before we get to that bullpen, it's really kind of interesting to frame it this way, isn't it? To say that the offense has been pretty good overall about what you could expect from most of those guys, and yet it hasn't mattered at all because the pitching has been that rough. Uh, they... You know, you're mentioning the bullpen even. Why don't we start there when it comes to the Twins? What sticks out as the big blemish, the biggest bald spot in this, this uh, you know, this, this field that is the Minnesota Twins pitching?
2: Well, Alex Colome has not been good. <laughs> you know, that's, he's been, he's been bad, right? Of the guys in the bullpen, he's the one who's kind of had the roughest go of it so far. He's been worth negative wins to this point. Yeah, which is not great. You, you know, you'd <laughs> like to see a positive number there, but uh, you know, everybody but even like, you know, Tyler Duffy he has a 289 ERA, but some of his underlying numbers haven't been as great. Uh, Caleb Theobar, kind of the same thing. Uh, Taylor Rogers has been he's been fine. He's been pretty good. Uh, Cody Stashik is another guy. He's a His numbers are his underlying numbers are better than than he seems. He has a seven two seven ERA, but for the most part, it's just been kind of a lot of poor play at the wrong time and kind of giving up late leads and late ties and nothing. It just hasn't gone as planned at all. And Colome has been one of the highest usage guys out there, and that's a problem when when that guy has a has a nine nine five expected ERA.
1: Yeah, kind of like hard to fathom that it's pushing a, a double-digit expected ERA there. And he's only thrown, what, nine and two-thirds innings. But they've been very ugly. He's given up almost two home runs per nine, uh, which, I mean, if he's only thrown nine innings, that, that doesn't look awful. But ultimately, when he's coming in in short bursts, it's it's not necessarily desirable to have him come in with a rate like that. He was also signed to be the closer, right? Like he was supposed to fill a void at the back end of that bullpen and Colome has not done that to this point and it's kind of funky because uh, you know he's he's throwing pretty much as hard as ever uh, maybe a, a half ticks slower uh, but with his, his four seamer but ultimately the cutters the same uh, those are the two pitches he's really leaned on in the last couple of years and it's just not working it's not scaling and he's kind of representative of the whole bunch here right like you mentioned some of the just underwhelming performances even Randy Dobnak was option to the minors recently and do you have any feelings about Randy Dobnak in general i like his glasses and i like his mustache <laughs> <laughs> this is my strongest feelings about Randy Dobnak I, I like the deal that
2: he signed it was good for him and good for the twins assuming that he can you know be a really just a guy in their on their pitching staff like if he stays on the major league roster that's a fine contract of course it's begun now with him not staying on the major league roster as he's already been optioned right so and he's you know he's not a stuff guy he's, he's somebody who's going to have to work the edges and 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 with and pitch to contact and but still because of because he was an older rookie and because he's you know they have him for a long time now at a very controlled rate and he's a guy that minnesota fans might really like and might kind of become a cult kind of guy but it hasn't started off well for him it's a you know 816 era 583 fit points uh you know it's maybe not quite so bad as it seems so far but uh and his control has been okay the the you know he's given it more home runs than is tenable and that number should come down a little bit but I don't think Randy Dobnak is gonna make or break the season. Like it's gonna be that Alex Colome guys. Like Dobnak's there just to kind of fill in the, the the creases and and you know start some games and soak up some innings and you know be kind of a four-year eight kind of guy.
1: Yeah, and, and the thing about all of these guys being underwhelming to this point is that it, you have to consider that maybe in the scope of uh like a, a rising tide lifts all boats. So if a Colome steps up, uh maybe it takes some of the weight off some of these other guys who are lesser performers, uh, but maybe not less critical to a team long-term over the course of a full 162. Uh, I asked in particular about Dobnak because he he struck me as interesting before the year. uh, Suddenly, he was just throwing a new slider. But uh, what I had learned from a couple people was that the slider was nice and it was new and it was fooling batters in spring training very suddenly because somebody just suggested he twisted, he, he turned his wrist a little bit differently and he had hmm. a, a whole new looking pitch. Uh, but ultimately, because he is a, a lower octane guy, the shape and velocity of it is not something that he's going to be able to necessarily rely on. So I wonder what kind of growing pain it might be for a lower run guy like Dobnek. And I wonder how much tolerance the Twins have for depth if, it, if they're not performing, and then they also don't have the guy they signed to be their their closer, closing out. Um, one other guy sticks out to me, and this he's a starter. It feels impossible to mention the start the Twins are having without mentioning Kenta Maeda, who has struggled pretty mightily in the early going here and not looking anything like he did in, in, a, in a Cy Young push-type season in last year's sprint. Uh, and he he might have started to turn it around most recently in his uh, last start, but still ways to go too because his his stuff seems to be less effective this year.
2: Yeah, I mean it's been small samples so far, but a five three four ERA. He's given up some long balls as well. He's not striking out batters uh, quite as efficiently as he was last year. He twenty one point two K K rate this year after uh, having a career high rate of thirty two point three percent last year. I mean it's certainly possible that he was pitching above his head a little bit last year. I mean, it was only, you know, he made 11 starts. So to have an 11 start run isn't shocking. And it was definitely the best 11 start run, you know, that that we'd seen from him, but we also hadn't seen a lot of consistency from him because the Dodgers moved him around in his role so much. So I think there was this thought that like, Oh, or this like, you know, easy narrative that, oh, Kent has finally settled into a starting pitching role here in Minnesota. And so now he's really settling in as this ace. Uh, because he's been given this opportunity, but you know, he's 33 years old. The Dodgers are no dummies. I mean, they know what good pitching looks like. I think it's certainly possible that, 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 that narrative was a little bit overblown. Now I don't think he's going to be what he's been so far. I mean, he's a five, two, seven fit, but I think he's going to, he's going to, uh, you know, his battle against right now is three, five, two, which is very high for anybody, but also for, especially for him, that's going to come down. We're going to, there's the, there's more, you know, the best is yet to come for Kenta Maeda this season. So I, I'm not too worried about him. Like I said, I'm not sure he's going to be an an ace necessarily in the traditional sense, but he'll be a frontline pitcher for them. I,
1: I, I'm not too worried about him in the long, in the long haul. I think so too, but I think, is maybe necessary to consider is that maybe last year was the high water mark, and that if we temper expectations a little bit, he might be falling in line with what he was doing in 2019. His chase rate is pretty much exactly the same as it was in 2019 when he was last with the Dodgers and his swinging strike rate so far is down. So he's not getting guys to, to offer at his stuff and maybe he corrects it. Maybe he finds a, a nice way to kind of work around it because he, he is a kind of a kitchen sink control guy who, which that might not do him justice. He's more than that, but that's the base, right? He's not like a fireballer. Right. Uh, so when we consider all of these moving parts on the Twins roster, do we think that they have more question marks on their roster and throughout their depth than we maybe thought they did a month ago? I think the biggest question.
2: Well, that's a tough question. I mean, I think the rotation, I was always worried about the rotation because outside of, you know, Maeda and Berrios are, the, are kind of the two big arms there, right? And then then they have a lot of guys who you're not quite sure what you're going to get. Jay Happ and Michael Pineda and Matt Shoemaker, who's been awful so far this year. And healthy for once, but awful. Uh, so, you know, that group worried me. Dobnak being a depth piece for them. And uh, I like Lewis Thorpe. He's a guy that I think is interesting to watch this year, see if he can eventually claim a rotation spot, the uh, Australian former top prospect. But um, is it
1: just the pedigree on Thorpe? That's interesting to you.
2: Yeah. And the fact that he came back from this kind of personal situation where he was sent away from the team and um, has has seemed to kind of recover from from that and is now back and reports were good on him this spring. And, um, I think a guy like that who has been, had been going through something, whatever it was for, on a personal level to have some of that settle down to be still with the same organization, to come back and be kind of welcome back into the fold that kind of points to me to, there might be, you know, he might be kind of finding himself and, and maturing uh, a little bit later than maybe we expected, but uh, it might still be happening for him. So, you know, whether or not he gets the opportunity is going to be the question. We've seen him a little bit already and just in short sports, he's thrown five innings this year, but Uh, we'll see if he gets an opportunity. He's one of those guys who's a depth piece right now. And some of these guys every year have to step up into major usage roles. And those who do well can be real swing guys for swing players for a team. So I don't know. I'm still worried about the pitching. I think the bullpen will be better. I wasn't a big Colomay fan from the jump. They were, you know, Taylor Rogers was pretty good last year in the closer role. I thought he was going to be fine again, but, you know, pairing the two also didn't seem like the worst idea. So I'm a little bit concerned mostly just because 11 and 17 is a tough 30 game stretch. I mean, that's not a stretch that you want to see out of any team. And I think that the white Sox, I mean, this, I mean, it's one of the bigger stories that we have in the, in the AL center right now. It's like of the things that we, of the things that have happened in these first 30 days, the twins starting 11, and 17 is unequivocally one of the big ones. And I think it does for me kind of affect how I view them moving forward. I think it's going to be, Tough for them to... I mean, there's plenty of time. But I'm not sure that they're going to be able to just kind of snap too.
1: Well, and you're talking about the White Sox being kind of in a place we've already brought up. If the Twins are maybe starting to think, ooh, we really need to put it together here. We can't have another run like this this season. Like, this is it. We need to really play at least 500 or better for the rest of the way. Uh, preferably more than that if they're really going to make the playoff push. But nothing below 500 for an extended stretch. What do we make of the White Sox? Because we talked about their depth. What do they do if they suffer one injury? And then they did, and then they suffered another one. Luis Robera is out three to four months, pretty much the same length that Eloy Jimenez is going to be out at this point, right? Like, you're missing these dudes for almost the entire season, if not the entire regular season. So we talked about their depth not being enough, because they didn't sign a bat in the offseason beyond Adam Eaton and they didn't make any other big moves when it seemed they really were primed for one. What happens if they lose a piece? Well, now they've lost two. So what do we make of the White Sox right now?
2: Well, Adam Eaton is unequivocally both the best and the most durable outfielder on the White Sox <laughs> roster, which is, which is an amazing, amazing thing to have happened within these first 30 days. I mean, L- L- Robert, losing Robert, that's heartbreaking. I mean, it's the, the thing is, it's the injury that we all expected. For whatever reason, he's the guy that we expected to get hurt, right? It's that uber-athletic style of player that we did, we have just come to expect to get hurt. And so when Jimenez was the guy who went out before the season started, it felt a little bit like, oh, this is, okay, I didn't really see this coming, but we saw some version of this happening. And then Robert follows. And Robert has been worth 1.1 F4 so far. He leads their team and they just don't have anybody behind them. I am worried about their outfield. They now have Billy Hamilton seeing significant time. They have Lurie Garcia,
1: who is a second baseman, who doesn't hit well enough to play second base. They have Andrew Vaughn. If I remember correctly, before we talk about Vaughn for a moment, you described Lurie Garcia as somebody they should not have playing uh, anywhere all the time, or anywhere any of the time, and then you said now he's playing everywhere all the time. yeah they need him everywhere he's like
2: he's like backing up at shortstop he's playing at second base. He's in left field he's there starting center fielder now and dude is just he's not he, i mean he's been like a soldier he's been an organizational soldier for the white Sox. he's been there for a long time now but he just he can't hit he just he just doesn't hit and you know i'd like to do more i'd like to look more into like the defensive aspects of this of like i don't really have a real strong sense for like how much of a defensive impact the player can have because Billy Hamilton is a star defender. He's a great defender, but we don't seem to care. And, you know, there's one thing when, if you had Hamilton sliding for Jimenez and left where there was going to be a huge jump there defensively, we're like, yes, you lose this gigantic bat, but at least your defense goes from subpar to being potentially elite level, but going from Robert to Hamilton, there is no drop-off defensively. There's no real bump defensively. And you just have a, a massive chasm from, from, from an offensive standpoint, I mean, and now to have both those guys potentially in the starting lineup. I mean, I wasn't an Adam Engel fan, and now I'm like begging for Adam Engel. I'm like desperate for Adam <laughs> Engel to come back from injury. I just, you know, who was playing left field for the White Sox today? Jake Lamb. <laughs> Jake Lamb was playing left field at the end of, end of the game today. Jake Lamb is a third baseman who is like a not highly sought after third baseman who has now been cut multiple times and you know, can barely find a third base job. Now he's playing left field along with, you know, Andrew Vaughn, who should be playing more. This is the craziest thing. Andrew Vaughn, a rookie first baseman, was thrown into left field, and now we're desperate to see him play, and Tony LaRusso won't play the guy. He's only playing, you know, a couple days a week, and the power hasn't really come yet, but he's been doing all right, and, you know, he's got to be in the lineup, and they need his bat now, especially they need his bat.
1: All right, so... You mentioned Tony LaRusso. We talked about how they failed to add a bat in the offseason that was a greater sum than Adam Eaton, now their most reliable outfielder, which in the words, uh, the infamous words of then-Yankees manager Joe Girardi, it's not what you want. <laughs> if the Twins have more question marks than we thought this time four or five weeks ago, do the White Sox have exactly the question marks we thought they would all along? Well, they're not the question marks anymore. There's they're
2: certain liabilities like we were worried about their depth now all those worries have come to pass within 30 days which is kind of incredible now they've had other things go really right which is why ultimately i'm still not worried about the white Sox because they've had certain things go exceptionally well your main mercedes comes out of nowhere he's been incredible he has a 198 wrc plus dude went eight for eight to start his major league career like he's been insane but you know the one thing this team is long on is designated hitters. Like they have a lot of those guys, so you know that's been a, a huge plus for them. The other big thing is that their starting their their pitching staff basically has seen it's basically been the opposite. If on the offensive end, what we were worried about was the outfield getting hurt, and that's exactly what happened. On the for the pitching side, we're kind of worried about these younger arms who were kind of at a crossroads in the career, in their career. Michael Kopech, Carlos Rodan, Dylan Seas. Would any of them become you know, the strong rotation arms that we've thought they'd be for years, or were they going to kind of keep descending into being back-end rotation arms or kind of mop-up guys? And all three of them have been excellent in different roles. I mean, Rodon threw through that no-hitter. He looks better than ever. Michael Kopech has been incredible in his swing role. And Dylan Cease has been very good. They've all been worth a 0.9 F war. And while guys like, you know, Lucas Jolito have been up and down, Lynn Lance Lynn was on the Angeles for a bit. You know, these three guys have really stepped up and they've gotten the best version of them. The white Sox lead the American league right now in F for their pitchers and for their hitters. This is yeah, a good it, team.
1: Yeah, it, it is a good team. And their, their pitchers are, you're talking about their starters, really stepping up. It shows up. If you want just one single number, that's a basic one. That's easy to digest. They're pushing the top 10 for innings thrown by starters. Throughout baseball this year, it's uh, the Dodgers, Giants, surprisingly to my eyes at, at this point, the Phillies, uh, the A's, the Brewers, <laughs> the Rangers, interestingly enough, uh, the Cardinals, Boston, Mariners. And then it's like a three-way tie, basically, between Detroit, Arizona, and the White Sox. And uh, Dallas Keuchel just went, what, six innings today, six strong, where he got went like...
2: In- into the seventh.
1: Yeah, and yeah, they and, lost uh, the
2: game one to nothing, and but you know one to nothing in ten innings or whatever.
1: Right, and you know Jason Benetti said that he was getting a what was it a wheelbarrow full of ground balls. I think he had like twelve ground ball right. outs, so getting it done in all sorts of ways. Uh, but even you're you're, you're mentioning some well, of this. To be, to be fair, it's pretty much that one way. That's the, that's yeah. the only way Keiko yeah. gets for Keiko, it, it is. <laughs> it's,
2: yeah, but the but he's such a great counter to the rest of the rotation. But to your point, like they have all these young flamethrowers. And then a guy like Keiko is a is a perfect you know alt day kind of guy.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and and that's why you know it's it's kind of unique to phrase them as not questions but certainties. We've gotten answers, right? And yet yeah, they're still kind of raising uh, or rising up to the occasion. They're they're what sixteen and thirteen now. Uh, and They're a half game behind the Royals, as you were saying a few moments ago. Um, what do you make of Tony La Russa who has, I, I, I almost moved on before this and I want to bring up La Russa in particular. <laughs> what do you think of him so far? Everybody had questions about if he'd be able to manage, if he'd be able to manage this particular team. He's been out of the game in, as a manager for 10 years. Uh, there are rumblings that players are, were kind of confused by the decisions he's made throughout the courses of certain games leaving pitchers in a while and that might, maybe that's how they're getting that, that inning total manifesting to some extent. What do you make of Tony La Russa it, as I kind of build you into a leading question with all that information there?
2: You know, it's hard for me to say because
1: I, I haven't watched enough White Sox games to
2: really know because the, the ins and outs of a manager, you really have to, it takes a long time to really get a gauge on what they're doing. And I, you know, I think of Dave Martinez of the, of the nationals as, as the guy that I've seen the most of, and you know, Martinez is he's dopey. he's he's kind of a dopey <laughs> dude. And he seems dopey and he seems like he doesn't really know what he's doing. And he makes kind of weird decisions in the bullpen sometimes and, and he and he you know relies on these veteran guys like Josh Harrison and Starlin Castro and you know Howie Country before him and as Jubal Cabrera and Gerardo Parra and like or Gerardo Parra. but like but it's like I got the seam over full course of the year. you can see him really trying things out and that he has a long leash to players and he's, and he's a players manager in that sense. And that like, he really gives guys an opportunity to prove themselves in the game. And it it's, you know, every game does not come down to, a, you know, we have to win this game today. Sometimes it's a, we have to see how this guy does in this situation today. So, you know, that's all to say that there's a long, uh, that it's a marathon, not a sprint for a manager. Right. So it's hard for me to say at this point, how LaRusso is doing, especially without watching him on a daily basis. What I will say is that, you know, they've had some injuries and they've had some things go wrong and they're still doing okay. They're still winning games enough. They're not winning. They haven't won as much as their run differential suggests they should be winning. And that there are certainly questions about, yeah, some of his roster decisions, some of his, you know, I think he's definitely going to rely on some of these veterans too much. I mean, Andrew Vaughn right now should be in the lineup every day if he's going to be up there. I worry that he's going to rely a lot on Billy Hamilton and Lurie Garcia and and some of these other guys, but I don't know. Is that your sense? And I know that, you know, he's going to let rotation guys go a little long at times and sometimes that's to the team's benefit though. So, so I don't, so I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm torn on how to feel about him. I mean, he is an easy punching bag.
1: Uh, He is maybe, maybe I geared up to hit, hit the punching bag a little too quickly. Uh, if we're going to frame it that way. But frankly, I think the concerns with him, when it, even if it comes to managing innings with these pitchers, these young guys, and say he's leaving them in a little too long most of the year, that could be problematic come September.
2: True, but he's but he's also handled like Kopek very well. You know, gave him two stars. He went three innings in one, five in the next. He said very clearly, like, you know, this guy's gonna be a frontline starter, but I'm gonna keep him in the bullpen for now, I'll keep him in the swing roll. Like, I think he's gonna lean heavily on Keichel and Giolito and Lynn. And those guys he's gonna let throw until their arms fall off. And right, you know, Rodon even, you know, he let Rodan go in the no hitter game, but that was only 113 pitches. That wasn't crazy. And he didn't over he didn't push him hard the next time out. So you know, I don't know, when Rodon comes up with a with a bum arm and so does Giolito, like, you know, the my opinion is going to change. But right now, I, I'm not sure I hate what he's doing.
1: Well, the, the one thing you did mention is the situation with Andrew Vaughn. And we did talk about that and how he tends to not manage younger players well, right? Part of the overall concern with this team. But a top prospect like Vaughn, seeding playing time, uh, as we've spoken about in the past to... A, Weird collection of guys who just seem to keep finding jobs on the White Sox this season, in particular, Uh, seeding playing time to a handful of those types of players while learning a new position on the fly, while not having a consistent spot in the lineup. I don't know. I think that's a big concern because I think it's a fair point to say it can take a little bit to get to know how La Russa might manage this particular club and that we might not have enough to go on for this year. But we do know he has that history with younger players. And like I was watching that that start a little bit this afternoon and seeing Billy Hamilton take a cut off of Sonny Gray where Gray was pretty filthy today. He had some really good stuff going, but Hamilton takes a cut. Looks like he's going to shoot like a humpback line drive in a center field and then the camera zooms out and it like did a one hop in front of second base and he was thrown out. Like I just don't think you have a shot with a guy like Billy Hamilton on your team long term taking big time at-bats because, like you were saying, they lost 1-0, uh, they got a lot out of Keiko, but who are you going to go to in that lineup after the first five, six guys? I mean, Anderson, Madrigal, really interesting table setters at the top. Moncada after that. Abreu has been his typical self, not his MVP self from last year, but typical above-average production. Uh, Eaton, I, whatever, I'm shrugging. And Mercedes, who knows if the league adjusts to him as as kind of a late bloomer and, and what he can do all year. I don't know if there's enough there to, to push them across the finish line, even if the pitching holds up. And I think that would be my big concern. Does that seem like a fair one to you when it comes to the Chicago White Sox?
2: I think it's definitely a fair concern. I mean, they're, they're going to get more out of Abreu. Abreu hasn't uh, hit for that much power yet. And that's the thing on the team as a whole. They haven't hit for all that much power yet grandal is another guy who really hasn't gotten into the swing of things yet but yeah i mean billy hamilton Let's just just for fun dudes how old is he he's 30 years old let's go through his wrc plus year by year as a rookie 2013 154 13 games 22 plate appearances (laughs) very exciting runs so fast yeah so cool he's so thin 2014 (laughs) is his first like full season 79 wrc plus that's going to be the high watermark 2015 he falls to 53 2016 78 2017 he's 65 2018 68 2019 49 wrc plus 2020 only had 36 plate appearances he had a three wrc plus that's a three that means he was 97 below average and so far this year he's at 28 so he's you know he's growing a lot from last year but, <laughs> you know he doesn't hit. He has an 084 career ISO. He doesn't take walks. He's, you know, he's Javi Baez, but without any power. It's like, that's not a, that's not a guy. Like he puts the ball in place on which you think would be good. Cause he runs well. It's not enough though. I mean, it's not. His bababs aren't even traditionally all that high. He can't hit. He he can't hit enough to be a guy getting regular playing time. He just, maybe like he can, if he's the only guy, right. If he's going to put up a 70 WRC plus, which we're not sure if he can, then, you know, he does bring enough speed and defense that, you know, he was a positive war guy for many years with Cincinnati, but it's now been a while because he hasn't gotten the volume. And that's for legitimate reasons. I mean, you can do better than that for the most part. I mean, he is a guy who can be a big player in the playoffs. Like he's a situational guy, right. He's the guy who, you know, Defensively, he's great. So if you have an out, there, have him out there for an inning or two. That's that's he can save you an out. But over the long haul, it's just you'd rather have somebody else taking those at bats. And I just don't yeah. know who's going to eventually do it. I mean, Luis Gonzalez is a guy who looks kind of exciting.
1: They signed Brian Goodwin. Maybe they signed Brian Goodwin. Actually, Goodman
2: would be fine if we, if we get the Angels version of Brian Goodwin.
1: Yeah,
2: you know he's you know you'd rather see him at a corner, but you know, move Andrew Vaughn to center. I mean, getting a center center fielder is not easy and they have all these, just a collection of also ran kind of guys. It's, you know, Luis Gonzalez is 25 years old. He's almost 26. Hasn't really seen much playing time. Doesn't have much power. uh, Doesn't really play a great center field. He's more of a, a a classic tweener, tweener of doesn't play enough center, enough defense, maybe for center doesn't hit enough for the corner. Uh, You know, Nick Williams, we've been over Nick Williams, he's he's toast um mickey matic is 31 i mean mike rodolfo and blake rutherford are, are two of the younger guys who maybe could do something at least we haven't seen them fail yet but they're also older prospects 24 years old apiece and
0: they're not going to them
2: to this point. and like these are the guys that like larusa is going to have trouble playing i mean he's playing nick madrigal because nick madrigal is and he's young but he's a star potentially at least he looks at right now luis robert same thing it's these fringy guys and if you go with a a question mark like luis gonzalez and a question mark like billy hamilton he's gonna go with billy hamilton because that's the guy he's seen before and that's the guy he knows and that's the guy who's like baseball iq he trusts and i mean the fact is that i mean with robert going down to you adam eaton is an injury waiting to happen has been for a long time i just think they they gotta make some moves to to bring in some other outfielders i mean They just have to do it. They don't have enough there. I mean, maybe Goodwin. Goodwin's a fine piece. I think I'd rather have Goodwin on the roster than Jake Lamb, for instance. Who Jake Lamb doesn't really fit an actual need for them because they don't need him at third, and they don't need him at first, and they don't need him at DH. And he's not a speed guy, and he's not a defense guy. So like, he just doesn't fill the spot for them. If he were a left fielder, sure, but he's not. You know, that's that guy is Brian Goodwin. So good, get him on the roster and send Lamb home and figure it out because because the rest of this roster is really good and Liam Hendricks hasn't been great yet but he's going to settle in and a lot of the other bullpen pieces are Garrett uh, Crochet is out now again but he's you know he'll come back and he's looked very good so far this this is a really solid roster and they are heading
1: to the playoffs so you mentioned you, you declare that you've mentioned that they need to make a move for an outfielder If we're going to, before we get into the other two teams of relevance in the AL Central, if we're going to figure out the Twins and Sox here, who are you more concerned about long term for this season? It's the Twins. I mean, I don't have as much confidence in the Twins
2: and the Twins roster on the whole because I don't really trust their pitching staff. I mean, this is this is part of it. I mean, so you know, I wanted to look, I wanted to look at the AL Central today because I felt like they were kind of a clear, interesting team that 30 games in, we have a couple bits of news, right? We have a couple of big things that have, that have happened. And if you look at just those things, like the big narrative moments of the season that we, the new information we have now that we didn't have on opening day, it's the White Sox outfield injuries. You know, they lost Elon Jimenez and Luis Rubio for most of the season, right? It's that the twins are 11, 17 to start the year. And it's that the Royals are 16 and 12 to start the year. Like that's, those are the three big new pieces of information, right? Yep. We thought maybe the Royals would be good so far, but they have been. And if you look at if you look at just those pieces of information, I'm really worried about the White Sox. Like those are two big names they lost.
1: They are. And that's why that's why I wanted to get a sense of how you feel about the Twins and the White Sox before we talk about the other couple of teams here. And in particular the Royals, because you said Chicago needs to make a move for their outfield. But with the way the Royals are playing, it feels like they're going to make a move right now right do you do you agree with that like is that what you see the royals doing whether it's making a move whether it's promoting a guy aggressively and seeing if he can float or sink like how do you make out with uh how do you how do you what how do you feel the royals are going to make out moving forward aggressively and sloppily that's how they're gonna make out (laughs) the way they always have (laughs) I realized the way I phrased it as I said it. I was like, "Oh no!" Um, I mean, the
2: Royals are. (laughs) So one of my big questions with the Royals are: Are they any different than than what we thought they'd be, right? And I I don't know when we get to this. You know, they're sixteen twelve. They they've been off. They've gotten off to a good start. My problem with them is basically twofold. It's like. First of all, is their pitching going to hold up? They're relying on a lot of young arms, right? Daniel Lynch is up now. Brady Singer has been really good so far, but they're going to want to control his innings. Brad Keller has been terrible. So hopefully, you know, he writes the ship at some point, but they have all these other young rotation arms that they're going to turn to. Jackson Coar is the guy who's going to see some time and and is going to be an important person for them. And we know the Royals don't have any problem being aggressive with their promotions, but I don't know that there's enough in that pitching staff. The bullpen has not been good so far. I thought they'd be better. They're they're 13th right now by fit 4.63 fit in the American league and they're 13th with a negative 0.2 F four. Their lineup has been exactly averaged hundred WRC plus and their lineup has been pretty much what you expect it to be. I mean, the big thing with them right now is that they don't have a shortstop, right? Mondesi is coming back soon, and can Mondesi take any kind of step forward? If he does, if if Adelbert if Adelberto Mondesi shows up and is suddenly a star player like we thought he would be at some point, that's when I worry about the Royals. But otherwise, they don't get on base enough. I, I just you know they're playing over their head right now, and and I just do. And and while I do think that they will be aggressive to go get something, they're not the Yankees. They're not going to be able to go get. I don't know who, Max Scherzer. They're not going to go get that guy, right? They're going to get right. little pieces here or there, but they don't have any, like, outside of shortstop where is coming and maybe a DH, they don't really have a natural
1: spot to upgrade a DH slash right field. Well, so what do you think they're more, more likely to do? Try to make a trade or try to see if an aggressive promotion maybe sets things sets the pace even more because right now it feels like they're kind of pacing this division with how the the White Sox and the Twins have stumbled and they're seizing a little bit this moment but like you're saying they're probably playing above their heads because they do have a run differential of negative nine whereas the White Sox were plus 37 uh, right now and even the Twins are plus one Cleveland plus six Uh, so minus nine is not a good place to be but it and feels Detroit. inevitable that they'll do something. What's that?
2: And Detroit, their run differential must be around <laughs> yeah. two or three, plus or minus, right? Uh, minus 66. <laughs> oh man, It's such a huge number already. Yeah, I mean, this is my thing with the essential the, the is like, yeah, you look at the standings and maybe it looks a little wonky, but you look at the run differential and it's pretty close to being spot on. I mean, the Twins number is a little low, but for the Royals to be 16-12 with a negative nine run differential isn't crazy. For the Indians to be 15, 13 with plus six, like that seems exactly right for the Indians long-term. Yeah. Like the Twins, I think, will play better. And, and but they're still like within shouting distance. I mean, again, like that's a huge point. I think the Twins have a better run differential than the Royals right now. So what are we really worried about? Like that's the type of thing that, that comes out in the wash eventually. It's just only been 30 games right now. The White Sox plus 37, way above the field, just way above the field. And so yes, they're gonna lose Robera, and that's a big deal. But I think they have some leeway. And it's not like they're it's not like they're the twins, but they're falling behind right now. Like the White Sox aren't first. They don't have to like they're still even right now with the Royals. Like they yeah. just have to play better than the Royals the rest of the way. I think they're going to. And the Twins had to play a whole heck of a lot better than them to make up for these first 30 games. And I just don't see it happening. So like while the injuries, like the White Sox have places on the roster where they can definitely improve, and they have things that I wish that they would do that kind of drives me crazy that they're not. But part of the reason, one of the reasons it's so infuriating because is because they are so good and because they are so far ahead of the field. I mean, I, I just think that this division is theirs to lose. And I don't think that the Royals are going to be able to keep up. I mean, I think that they'll, the Royals are going to be able to keep, compete for 500. They're going to be, I think they're going to be around there. But I, I just don't think that they have enough
1: to get enough to 85, to 87 there. games.
2: Yeah. I just don't see it. I, I don't, I don't see it in their, in their lineup. They, they still don't get on base enough. They were terrible at last year. They picked up Carlos Santana. Who's great at that. He gets on base a ton. He has been getting on base a ton. Nicky Lopez takes his walks, but he's so bad offensively that it doesn't really matter. And he's going to be the guy who's pushed out of the lineup soon. So they're, you know, their second base on base, second best on base guy is going to move out of the lineup. I mean, Michael A. Taylor, is a guy who is maybe great for some lineup like this. Like, man, Michael A. Taylor on the White Sox would be killer right now. You'd yeah. love him on that lineup. But he doesn't get on base, which is the thing that the Royals really need right now. And they just don't have that skill. Salvador Perez is one of the worst in the leagues. They're just like, you know, Whit, Whit Merrifield doesn't, isn't a guy who takes his walks. They they've In typical Royals fashion, they have a, a roster that's very contact-heavy, which is great, but I just don't see them getting on base enough to make it happen. And unlike... Some of their past successful teams, they don't even have really a ton of speed to really make stuff happen on the bases. And
1: well, not yet. And that's why that's why uh, you know Mondesi could be such a big deal, right? Uh, if he if he can come back and he's set, right? He could be he could be a big deal, but he's also a guy who doesn't get on base, right? right. So
2: like even at his best, he's gonna be a you know a three thirty on base kind of guy. He's not gonna really be the table setter for them. And I you know I just wish that they could swap out a piece somewhere to get a a more traditional style of of leadoff guy, more traditional style of table setter. I mean, those guys don't exist as much anymore, but that's what I I wish they had on the offense.
1: They don't. And I I wish they had it too. Even like they tried Kyle Isbell, see if he could float uh, in in the major leagues. And he clearly needs some more time uh, to maybe ascend to that status as a major leaguer. Uh, He got sent down, but The Royals have what Eric Loggenhagen of Fangraphs just called a robust and deep system with star power at the top. So they've got Bobby Witt. They have Asa top uh, pitching prospect, uh, who's 22, basically. He'll be up at some point probably within the next year, which isn't relevant for this season, but could be. Uh, Daniel Lynch, they've already called up. Uh, And then they have a bunch of guys on the 20 to 80 scale who are 40s and 40 pluses who are guys who could be major league players. That's kind of what they're projected as and who might have the potential to pop. So we know that the Royals have a certain magic about them, right? We talked about this when they signed Salvador Perez, right? That they are just an org who seems to know the people aspect of things and that they get a lot of mileage out of that where other teams might not. Mm -hmm. And I saw a tweet I I feel unfortunate. Sometimes I say these tweets and I can't remember who said it, uh, but I do remember the charm that came from it was, uh, you know, the Royals just won by uh, bunting someone over and then hitting a sacrifice fly. What year is it? This is the kind of thing that, like, maybe it's just narrative in my human brain being obsessed with it, but it seems like they might be able to take this a little further than we're ready to give them credit for, because, of course, let me see it. Of course, prove it over more than 30 games. But they have a system that maybe they could add a really impactful bat. If it comes at a time where they've hung around long enough, where another team is willing to sell and it's not too late, if the White Sox continue to feel that they've got enough, do you feel like if they, if the Kansas City Royals made a move, it might uh, inspire enough fear in one of the other two or three teams in this division competing to do something to try to up their own team's roster? Maybe actually I could see that pushing the White
2: Sox to make a move. I mean, I think the twins feel pretty good about where they are. Honestly, I think they feel like they just had to wait it out and see what happens here. I could see, I mean, the twins may maybe make a move for a pitcher at some point, but I think all these teams are going to be patient for now and to see how this plays out. Cause there's also going to be a lot more sellers than there were last year. Last year, everybody was still in it, right? Like everybody was still part of this thing. And it was, because there were so many other playoff teams this year. You know, once we get closer to July, it's going to be a much clearer field. And there might be, there are going to be guys to go out there and get. I mean, and the the Royals do have some space where they could be, there's some flexibility in their roster and that they don't have like a regular, you know, Jorge, Jorge Soler should be their DH, but it's kind of the spot where they don't really have somebody, which means they can go out and get anybody really. Yeah. But specifically an outfielder and there are going to be a lot of outfielders
1: available on, you know, on any number of these teams who fall out of contention. And it would be kind of a boon if they went out and got an outfielder right now, right? Because if we're looking at rating these teams out by WRC+, plus by the outfield production they've gotten so far, Kansas City, just like with everything, squarely in the middle at 95. The Chicago White Sox down a little bit only at 90, probably going to go down more without Robert and with more Billy Hamilton, which is not the ingredient anybody really needs for a long term it would be really interesting if they went and added a a, an outfielder that was an impact bat that also kind of took the the white Sox knees out from under them i don't know now i'm playing like oh this would this would be fun baseball like i need to see that we've talked about how we want chaos like i want that chaos in the al central
2: yeah, well, because that's what that's the White Sox hole. That's really their only the only thing they're going to need is outfielders, and they're definitely going to need them. And they need somebody who can play center because you know they they like it. the thing is Andrew Vaughn's going to settle into left. I do believe that he's going to be the guy there. They're going and they have the defensive replacements for him because because of Mercedes playing so well, they don't have space for Vaughn elsewhere. Jose was at first. Yasmani Grandal is a guy that you like to move into that DH spot from time to time. So for Vaughn to stay on the roster, he really has to play left field, which means the white Sox said they're really going to make a change, need to get a center field. And that's harder to get. There aren't very many center fielders in the game right now. I mean, they're just, you know, you see team after team kind of moving guys over into center because there just aren't a lot of studs out there. That's why we get, you know, Alex Verdugo playing center and Avisel Garcia playing center for a whole season in in Milwaukee. And just, so that's like, that's not a great, that's not an easy position to make an addition.
1: Yeah, and that's Ooh, where there are going to be more guys available this year than usual. Right, and that, that center field in particular is a spot where if you get a guy who can play there defensively, even if they have just the league average bat, they can be such a long-term piece for a team. And that's why teams are reticent to give those players up. That's what Kyle Isbell could be for them, right? He could be a kind of mediocre bat who could play center field well enough to stick there. And maybe he gets enough seasoning and he comes up. And he could turn into that for the Royals. I don't know. They, we've seen weirder things happen with that org. Sure. Uh, and I, I don't know. I, I'm cheering for the Royals. They're finding a way to, for me to get them to cheer for them. Uh, it's a bummer about the White Sox for sure. The Twins, we hope that they can get some of their issues right, especially when it comes to the pitching side of things, which really just leaves us with Cleveland here, T.C., do they seem to be everything that we thought they'd be too? Uh, kind of like the Royals to some extent and are we do we have any reason to get excited about them potentially staking claim to this division? No, you have zero reasons to get excited about Cleveland, <laughs> Cleveland is exactly what Cleveland and the Royals are like, they're like ships passing at the night.
2: They're both ultimately going to be mediocre, <laughs> but one team's coming up and one team's coming down. The the Indians are so frustrating because they have so so many stars. Like, you know, Shane Bieber, one of the best pitchers in baseball. They have yeah. exciting young pitchers their offense is just god Dreadful. awful it's just terrible and it's, they just, they it don't ranks, stand a shot right now with that offense
1: they rank 27th in baseball uh by f4 gathered to this point uh if we look at it from wrc plus we scroll all the way down uh and they're at 21st instead of like 27th which looks better but overall they're they're in a bucket with like pittsburgh detroit and then a team you assume is going to turn it around to the New York Mets. Like, I don't know. They, they are a lot more Pittsburgh than they are New York Mets, I think. And what do we do with that? What do they do with it? Because they don't feel like they need to go make a move. They we've talked about it. They seem very content to be like, Hey, we're also here. I don't know. I don't understand how
2: the Indians view their offense. It's like, they think that pitching is the only thing that matters. And to you know, great extent it does, but like they, they need somebody to hit. I mean, Ramirez is amazing. Frambo Reyes has been solid so far, but the rest of it is just, man, like hopefully Andres Jimenez or Amin Rosario, hopefully one of them starts hitting at least a little bit. They know,
1: uh, you know, Roberto Perez and Austin Hedges aren't going to, they're not there to hit. There's just not much upside. Josh Naylor is has been worth zero wins through 25 games, which is like impressive to be that much nothing. Like, not good or bad. Well, it's bad. I mean, he, he's below replacement at this point in the season, right? Uh, But impressive that his number is squarely at zero. Jake Bowers at negative 0. 0.1. We talked about him being a total twizzler with with the bat, right? Like, he's he's got nothing to offer them. He's not really holding anybody back. But, again, they seem to be okay enough with him. Jordan
2: has monster power so far, yeah. and he's one of those, like, the, the Indians year to year, they seem to put together this roster that thinks that they're the race, so like where they have all these pieces that mix and match and, and fit together. Like a, it should work. Like yeah, Jordan Luplo was great against lefties, but you know, there aren't as many lefties. And so he's not out there all the time. And the other pieces haven't been very good yet. And so like, I, you know, I just don't think that they're necessarily as good at the, the mix and match game. I don't know what it is about outfielders in Cleveland, the whole AL central, I guess nobody's got outfielders. Nobody knows how to get outfielders. <laughs> Cause they don't have any and, and Eddie Rosario hasn't hit for any power yet. It just, it's a frustrating team because there's just no offense and there's no, it doesn't feel like there's offense coming. Bobby Bradley is still just in the minors doing who knows what Nolan Jones could maybe show up at some point and he can maybe help, but they don't really have a space for him because his natural position is third base where they already have their one good player. So I just, I just don't have any confidence in the in the Indians being able to put it together as, as great as their as great and as exciting as their pitching staff can be like as thrilling as their bullpen is. I just, they don't hit they just, they just don't hit and they're not, they're not going to hit. And so I don't see any reason. I don't want to put any thought into the Indians. They, they bum me out a little bit. It's just like they have Shane Bieber and we should all love this guy. And, and you know, but he's just going to fall into the, the list of great, you know, MLB players on worthless
1: teams, along with Mike Trout and Jacob deGrom and all the other greatest stars, you know, Shohei Otani. Until he's suddenly making too much money, whatever that amount is deemed as by by Cleveland, and it might even be an amount that they agreed to, and then he's traded away elsewhere. (laughs) Right. Uh, So, look, we're talking about the AL Central as a division. We've gone through the four teams uh, that are really worth talking about, including... That that are contending, right? The Tigers could be interesting enough in one capacity, but certainly not in the in the aspect of contending this season. So no, we acknowledge fourteen existence. or sixteen
2: something. Oof. Yeah,
1: yeah. who's <laughs> cooling off, unfortunately. Uh, but uh, look, yeah. we've got the the playoff odds here. Let me see if you agree with these or if you would shift them in any which way, up or down. TC, uh, and these you pulled these from FanGraphs, correct? This, that's where these odds have come yeah. from. So yeah. that's as of entering play today. The Chicago White Sox, 60% uh, playoff percent uh, playoff odds percentage of making it. The Twins, 30.7. Cleveland, 26.2. Kansas City, 19.3. Does that seem right to you? Uh, it seems more or less
2: right, or at least in terms of patterning. I, I might put the White Sox number even higher. I, I just really feel like they have a firm grip on this. I mean, I think I would put the Royals... Probably higher than Cleveland. Even I I just, I think Cleveland they feel destined to be exactly like around 500 or or close to it, maybe a little bit better. But you know the Royals, I feel like at least could get some positive momentum that would then push them to a place. Whoa, John Means just threw a no hitter. John Means of the Baltimore Orioles, a Baltimore Orioles, threw a no hitter. Holy cow! I don't know. Who knows what can happen? John Means are throwing no hitters. I don't know what can happen, man. That's very cool for him. Sorry,
1: to, uh, you know, make that aside. But I just saw that on the TV come up. That's very, very no, cool. We're, very we're, cool for John Means. Uh, it is because I I have uh, I have two screens set up, and one of them, uh, as we record, is always whatever games might be on. So in the tab for MLB TV, then the no, it was the perfect game, little red flag, and then the no hitter red flag. Uh, and he he pulled it off. means has been phenomenal this year. He's already worth more than a full win through now seven starts he's he's thrown forty six innings uh k rate over twenty seven percent walk rate below average. he's just he's been a he's been a guy who was on people's radars as a sleeper last year, but I don't know that they really saw him stepping up like this this year and it's a, a blast to watch. a great footnote, I think to help cover up the blemish that is cleveland baseball in the al central <laughs> as like you were saying not not something you really want to spend energy on right uh yeah, so man, it, john means now he's a guy you can see pitching for the royals isn't now he's the type of guy that they might go after <laughs> like
2: i can totally see the royals making a play for means he's not expensive they could fit him on they could fit him onto the into the payroll he's, older.
1: he's gonna be 29 he's
2: older. right so they don't think of up crazy prospects from like he's would be a very Royals acquisition to me. And he'd be a good one. Like that's the type of thing where that's why I would put the Royals playoff odds at higher than 19% because they're going to get more positive momentum than the Indians. Like the, Indi- the the better the Indians play, the more doom everyone in Cleveland is going to feel like the more they're just going to feel like, Oh, the, the yeah. bottom is going to fall off from this thing. Kansas city. That's, that's not the case. They're going to feel, and I think the team and the city will feel the positive momentum. and I think it can build on itself and push them to bank to be more aggressive in terms of their acquisitions. And to, to see some of that, like, you know, the reason we only see the reason that the projections are always a little bit light for the teams on the, on the edges, right? Like the Royals or the Tigers had the, the are projected for the worst record at like 87 losses or something. Like we know they're going to lose more games than that. And part of that is because the losing teams trade off players and the winning teams trade for those players. So there's, there's a real, that the divide grows and I could see the Royals being a team that really takes advantage of some positive, positive momentum and, and gets stronger. The White Sox, for the twins, I think 40% is about right. That's, that's that's, seems pretty good. The White Sox, I might put that number even higher. I just have a hard time imagining the White Sox not making the playoffs. Even if, I mean, I think they're going to win this division. Even if they don't, I'm not sure that there's going to be, are there going to be two teams in the AL West that make, that get a wild card spot? Like maybe the Asher's play well enough and the A's play well enough. You know, the East is still working itself out. And there's there's you know definitely potential to get a couple of wildcard teams out there, but I, I, see. I just think the White Sox are gonna be there. I think they're gonna be a they're gonna be a, a playoff team to me.
1: I see you're not a buyer on those Seattle Mariners, those upstart Mariners.
2: I was actually much higher on the Mariners than most coming into the season. I felt like yeah. they could have a much better year than than people thought. I, I don't a think they're gonna make the group.
1: playoffs though. Like I yeah, I mean they just yeah, got no hit fair. by John Means and the Orioles. Like they <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. You know, trending Means, downward. Means had twelve strikeouts, he did not walk anybody. Uh, a dominant performance and I think that would be really interesting to see if a team like Kansas City did go out and get him because they do have so many of those 40, 45, 40 plus type prospects and the Orioles as an organization might be a team interested in a bunch of guys getting a, a lot of guys more so than one top prospect and seeing if they can get some of the astro development magic because that's you know that's who's out there in in Baltimore running that team right former astro executives.
2: Yeah, um, and they're ready
1: to cash him in. I mean they haven't had they
2: haven't had guys to cash in in the trade market for a long time. Now. Right. So a guy like means they are I think they are ready to
1: pull the trigger on somebody like him if they get and, just a couple of guys that they like. And I I don't know. Now I I I do want the White Sox to succeed. I think that their their playoff percentage number could go up for sure. I think the Twins are about right if they don't ride that ship. Uh, and all of these projections are pure math, right? That's, but we, we have the benefit of kind of looking at it objectively or subjectively and saying, well, we know Cleveland's not really going to push for it, and we know that Kansas City would. I'm almost inclined to flip those two just because of the human factor of, of running those teams and how those teams operate. And I think that's interesting to consider the Royals much closer to the Twins in playoff potential than we thought maybe this time... Uh, You know, a month or two ago, especially in over the winter. Yeah, I think that's right. So you're saying the Sox remain the heavy favorites to win the AL Central. I'm going to agree. Um, Although, again, I'm uh, cheering for chaos. That's my prediction. And and it's, (laughs) it's sheer, sheer narrative, love and hope that I just cheer for chaos. The Kansas City chaos. Yeah, I like it. It's got a nice ring. It's got some nice alliteration. Uh, speaking of a solid name, we've gotten so much injury news coming through the game and so many weird suspension bits coming through the early season. Uh, you proposed this, and I think it sounds very solid, very fun. Boots and suspenders, all about the guys who have been kicked out of the games and who have been hurt. Uh, so, you know, we've got a couple of notes here. The first was that Jose Alvarado booted from Friday's Mets-Phillies game. Uh, he was suspended three games for his part in that altercation. It uh, was commuted to two games after the appeal. Uh, TC, for our dear listeners, could you just run down this situation that happened that is evolving in all of the weirdness between Mets and Phillies baseball this year?
2: Yeah. Well, this is the thing we needed. A, we need a boots and suspenders section because we just keep getting more suspensions, and this is going to be a part of part of the baseball season that we have to talk about. So, I mean, and this this Friday game was a weird one it was unclear what exactly what was, what was going on, but you know, Jose Alvarado was in there. Uh, it was a tie game, I think, or maybe there were, it was two to one. It was a close game and he starts getting into it with uh, Dominic Smith. When Dominic Smith is up, there's something going on. Dominic Smith calls time a couple, a couple of times or, or, you know, is kind of messing with, with Alvarado's timing. Alvarado's missing badly at places he's kind of all over the place ultimately alvarado strikes him out to end the inning and he is amped he's you know yelling directly at dominic smith he is challenging he throws down his glove ready right to fight pretty much right away <laughs> like there's it's hard to understand why dominic smith even got fined in, fined in this because he was this was all on alvarado this was like this was his move this was him making a big show and he was dumb with the game, so he was out. He finished the inning. They weren't going to put him back out there, but he got ejected anyway. So you know that's fine. In the next inning, Miguel Castro, the Mets, throws a little too close to Reese Hoskins a couple of times. Castro ends up getting fined, but he he stays in the game as well. And then Alvarado, you know, Alvarado ends up getting a three game suspension. So the three game mark is very interesting here because we're going to have another suspension to talk about in a minute. to See, like, you know, where are these numbers coming from? I'm not sure. Mets and Phillies—they—they have—it feels kind of like two, like you know, middle schoolers fighting or something. Because they—they're <laughs> definitely at it, and and you know, I think both sides want to feel like they're the—they're big contenders, but neither side has really played like it yet. But nobody in that division has, so no. so who knows? how could either one could be there. But th- th- to me, the interesting thing is, you know, this was all Alvarado. This particular suspension, this was him making a big show. And then a couple of days later, our old friend Amir Garrett does a similar kind of thing when striking out Anthony Rizzo of the Cubs. But he doesn't go as far. So Alvarado throws his glove down. He's ready to go. Alvarado screaming right at Dom Smith to the point where Dominic Smith is like, whoa, like, what is that all about? Dude, Garrett does a similar thing to Rizzo, but not quite as bad. And what's interesting here is that Javi Baez jumps the rails. He jumps the railing. He's coming out to get him. Bench is clear. Everyone's separated. Nothing happens. But in the end, Rizzo and Baez get fined. And Amir Garrett gets suspended for seven games. Like near identical reactions from Garrett and, and Alvarado in these two instances. Alvarado gets three, moved to two. Garrett gets seven. He's appealing. Baez, who was clearly an instigator, like he was the bench's clearing. He was the one coming out leading the action like there wasn't anything necessarily going to happen if bias doesn't jump the rails and start going after garrett but he does but he ends up getting you know garrett gets the seven game suspension so i don't really i mean clearly this is like a you know garrett we've seen this from you before don't keep this up we gotta be extra harsh with you but again it's hard to know what mlb is doing i mean bias was the instigator in this one and i love the guy And i love that he was going out going after his guy because because his point is like yeah, you, you, you yell and scream, but don't yell and scream at us. Like we don't, you know, don't make it personal. Don't yell at, don't like be excited. But when you start like yelling specifically at our guys, when you strike them out, like that's being disrespectful, you know, don't disrespect us. Otherwise, you know, we got a problem. So I can see some of that. Like, yeah, you bat flip, but you don't, I don't know. Batters are, are able to do it more subtly to pitchers, but I kind of see Baez's point, but regardless he was the instigator in this action. I don't see right. how he gets away with a fine when Garrett gets seven games, basically this, for being like,
1: "You're going to be a target because you're because you are this kind of guy." Right, and the the suspension totals here seem like MLB is like a mediocre magician who just knows they're going to pull something out of their hat, but they can't tell yeah. you what it is until they do, and they're like, "Ha ha, I meant to do this." Exactly, it feels very very uh, arbitrary. And it's frustrating because a lot of these leagues, I mean, even in the NHL with uh, Tom Wilson, if anybody was familiar with that event where he basically uh, smashed a guy down to the ice and, and severely hurt him, no suspension, just fine, the maximum of five grand, which was hilariously low. Uh, you know, So the NHL yeah. has a history that. Um, it just seems like these leagues, by and large, don't have an idea of how to run suspensions, don't have an idea of how to really process them in the context they look at guys like Garrett they say, well you've done this kind of thing before we're going to hit you with this even though uh you didn't really instigate the actual event it just it is so strange I I don't know and I think the most interesting note here is that Alvarado and Garrett together have not been very good this year so it's very interesting to see guys who have not played well get so fired up and be like yeah I'm the man when it's like oh man I don't know I would I would hold back if I were you (laughs) I would wait till you have a good run uh, and would be
2: like, I'm finally the man after eight appearances and ten earned runs. I finally done it. I mean, <laughs> I really got you this time. What's uh, just, just it- hilarious is like how pointed MLB is here, like how clearly this is personal about Garrett and about Garrett's past and about his proclivity for this kind of thing. But, you know, suspending him more isn't going to keep him from being this guy. He's still going to no. be this guy. No, so and it just feels a little bit spiteful and, you know looking at the two cases side by side and then at, at their reaction to bias too it just like it just doesn't make any sense it does feel it feels it feels almost not arbitrary it feels almost personal on MLB's part and I'm not sure what message that sends to to anybody like oh you attack the right guy and you're fine like right yeah bias you go after Garrett and you're gonna be good if you go after somebody else if you go after Kershaw maybe not
1: right and well and so that's the thing right guys. Who knows what that is? It changes every instance. We said this with the Castiano suspension, where it was just totally mindless, and that's kind of the frustrating thing. It's an absurdity that we're going to have to acknowledge throughout the course of this year, especially if if they maintain COVID protocols. We'll see who, how much they care come August when they're you know letting fans more fans into each building. Uh, but I don't know. It, it's it's frustrating, and it's it's a mindful way to note that the league is frustrating. Um, we've talked about all the various ways that they they, they are frustrating on a regular basis. Uh, and I think as a first edition of Boots and Suspenders, we get a nice, fun name for something that is very confounding as, as the league operates. And that brings us to this week in baseball, where a lot of stuff is going on again. Dustin May undergoing Tommy John surgery after he felt a sharp pain run through his elbow uh, yeah, the other night hurts. in his start. Uh, related, the Dodgers, 4-12 in their last 16 games. I mean, before we even get to the other stuff, this seems enormous. We could talk about the NL West, too, and how that division is being reshaped right before our very eyes, more so in a way that we probably did not expect at all this time a month ago. TC, how do you process Dustin May needing Tommy John surgery all of a sudden?
2: And That's really rough, because he was one of the real high-ceiling guys. Like He looked really good. He won the rotation spot, and now they're going to lose him for rest of this year maybe most of next year i mean it's a it's just a real bummer it's you know it's you know these injuries are going to keep happening guys we lose a certain amount of guys every year to tommy john i didn't think it was possible for the dodgers to go four and 12 but they've they've come upon a bit of a hard stretch and they you know their rotation was one of the deepest in the game that we talked about but david price is already out dustin may now is gone i mean and there's no you know, guys get hurt. You expect a certain amount of guys to get hurt, but when a guy is just eliminated from the field like this, it makes a big difference. And and May was a a proven guy. Like, you know, the Padres losing agent Moriham to Tama John, that's a bummer, but he's the guy who was still on his way up. Like May was seen, he was proven. He looked really good. His stuff was forceful. He had potential to really turn into a frontline guy for them. And now it's all kind of put on hold for a while. And he's, And he's out now. And they're just going to have to find somebody new for that spot. And, you know, David, there's
1: nobody else who has the ceiling that Dustin May had. And Tony Gonsolin, who might be close, uh, but definitely not quite that level, he's going to be another two or three weeks as they build him up as a starter. So it's like they really have lost their depth very, very suddenly. And speaking of depth, speaking of pieces that teams can't afford to lose, we look out west to the Oakland A's with Jesus Lazardo breaking his hand, playing some video games, That's kind of a big blow to that team, right? Luzardo is a huge piece for that rotation. I mean, he's another guy who just
2: has such a high ceiling, and for them to lose him along with Puck is just such a bummer. I mean, he bumps his hand playing video games and gets a hairline fracture in his pinky. He pitches that day, anyways. The team knows this has happened, yeah, and he pitches anyways. Gets blown up, and then they find out that it's a fracture, and it's it's his throwing hand. So you know, it's going to take some time. I I don't know that this is quite as severe. Like we're going to see him again this year, but. It's it's still a big deal and it's a bummer just because he's you know, he's the guy we're waiting to turn into an ace on that team. And I don't know who else is gonna be that guy for them. And the A's are gonna carry on. They 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 do. That's what that's what they do. But still Luzardo is a, he's an exciting young guy and it'd be better, you know, I'd love to see him really establish himself as the guy that we think he's gonna be.
1: Yeah, I would love to see that too. And and you're talking about him being an exciting young guy. Joey Votto is an exciting old guy who's really finding a way to reinvent himself this season. He broke his hand, his finger today, in game. He got hit by a pitch. And the word out of Cincinnati early is that he's going to miss weeks. So that's kind of a bummer. I, I don't know that the Reds are quite going to contend with the way that they scaled back their operation, with the way the Cardinals are playing early, with the way that the Brewers always seem to be in it. And uh, they still have to fight with the Cubs, figuratively and literally. Um but a disappointment it's all baseball is more fun with Joey Votto around.
2: Yeah. He's super fun. I mean, he's such a, he's such a fun and, and gregarious player and he's, you know, a big guy. He is, he is that team. He has been the Reds for so long now. And, you know, production-wise they'll be fine. They have lots of guys who can play first base. You know, they were rostered for the first baseman and with the way Tyler Naquin has played early on, they have more outfielders than they know what to do But So they'll be able to move Winker to first and, and, you know, bring back Shogo Akiyama eventually to get some time in the outfield. So, you know, they'll be fine in terms of on-field production, but, but Votto is the heart and soul of that team. And, you know, like you said, baseball's better when he's out there.
1: Yeah. And, you know, we, we have some news on, on the other front, a bit out West again with the Rockies who we spent some time on last week. They named Bill Schmidt, their interim GM, a guy who is apparently really well respected through that building, but talked about all sorts of, Weird connotations when it comes to what it means to be respected throughout the Rockies organization, right? So, uh, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, he seems like the right choice for now. I mean, they're gonna bring in somebody
2: new, but they're gonna wait till the winter. Uh, you know, they, you know, Ruben Amaro Jr. was linked for them recently. They, he they was. apparently called them, and that just seems like the exact wrong guy to go with. It like, really he does. seems like as like he has the, all the same pitfalls that I wrote about the Senate trade rumors. He has all the same pitfalls that the Rockies or perceived to have right now. So he's just I mean, like I a more, like,
1: he would be an aggressive, more outgoing, aggressive in terms of roster moves, more outgoing Jeff Breidich, I think.
2: Yeah. So for now, I mean, I don't think they'll go with him, but, I, but he is, but it's notable still that he's something that they're checking in on somebody that they're checking in on. They're going to wait, uh, you know, but for now, Greg Fiesel, their COO is running the baseball ops department. This is a good call, a good first decision from him to put bill schmidt in this spot i mean he's, if nothing else he provides a little bit of continuity gives them some some sense of stability as they you know play out the string this season and you know they do have a couple of big decisions to make regarding john gray and trevor story and at least uh you know schmidt's somebody who's who's not going to try to do something drastic there to to you know keep the job or whatever so who knows what what exactly is going to go on there but he seems like the right call for, for them to have made at this stage, since they're not going with a more permanent solution right now.
1: Right call is a great phrase to try to apply to this next news piece. The Toronto Blue Jays are on the move again for a new home park for the third time in a calendar year. Uh, they are not going to be playing in Dun- Dunedin, Florida anymore. They're going to be moving back to Buffalo. So, okay. Is this back good? Back to is Buffalo. It- is yeah. it not as bad as Dunedin? Is it just okay? Like, are we, do we shrug at this? Do we say, oh, good for them? Like, what do we do? I don't really understand where this decision came from. I don't understand what's going to happen to the
2: Buffalo Bisons. Do they move to Dunedin? Like, I just, <laughs> I don't really understand what what's happening. Or, you know, are they just like, you know, oh, we're moving back to Toronto eventually, but we don't, want, we don't want to do it all in one trip. So we're going to do this, you know, is this the old, you know, drive to Cleveland to get to the East Coast kind of deal where you want to stop halfway? And they're just gonna bring bring all their stuff back up to Buffalo so they're close or like closer to their families. I don't know. I don't know what the deal is. I'm not sure why they would make this call now. It doesn't it's a little bit confusing to me, but it is confusing. uh, It's fun to have like
1: a a nomad franchise. (laughs) It is. They're they're doing their own modern version of barnstorming, I guess. (laughs) That'll do it for us this week, going all through The news and baseball, as we always do, we're so glad that you were able to stop by and listen to us uh, to see where can people find you in the meantime, because they just can't get enough of all this wonderful perspective.
2: Uh Well, I got an article coming out this Friday about uh, our man, Adam Eaton, uh, Mr. Mighty Mouse himself, here to save the day in in Chicago, at List That'll be out on Friday. Uh, You can find me on MLB Trade Rumors. Uh, I'll also be writing there Friday night and Saturday morning. And uh, you know, I won't be here next week. You're gonna be on your own. You're gonna to have to find some new, you know, person to to yuck it up with, but uh, <laughs> I'll
1: be back a week after, and you can always find me on Twitter at TCZanka. You can find me at Tim Jackson says on Twitter. You can find us as a pod at BreakingPodPL. And you can email us at breakingpodpl at gmail.com. You can find me kicking around pitcher list you can find me uh, in our discord again a wonderful little community people uh, that we've all built up uh, and that it's really you guys building up as you you come in and you you make it and um uh, you can find me at baseball prospectus every monday a new depth charts pete bro- uh, drops for uh, a new team who's, who's shuffling things up just wrote about uh, the giants and their outfield and how mike talkman's going to be a big deal and he's been raking so far uh and Uh, Every other week uh, on Wednesdays, I I have a fantasy freestyle just wrote about uh, meatballs, but not the food, the pitches. Uh, So uh, you can find me at all those places. And uh, again, thanks for stopping by. We're so glad you did. So glad you, you know, looking forward to seeing you again next week. Hope you guys all have the best week ever.